0: Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter, chapter 5, beginning in the first verse. So I exalt the elders among you as fellow elders, a witness and sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that in the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood through the world, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Richard P. Kaufman tells a story when uh, recalling this text. He, he recalls a job he had early in life. His job was to carry bricks. It was, you know, as you can imagine, a very glamorous job, right? And his job was to carry these bricks to uh, the masons on the worksite. Uh, sometimes when uh, building, for example, uh, a one-story house, no big deal. But when the uh, job got bigger, oftentimes it would require him to toss the bricks up to the mason higher up above him. And when the job got bigger, it required a middleman. As he tells the story, that he would toss the bricks to, and then that middleman would tend toss the brick to the mason higher up. As you can imagine, the middleman—that was the toughest job, right? You had to be uh, aware uh, as you tossed the brick up. uh, You'd look down uh, to make sure that the next brick wasn't coming up, and something else. Uh, above you wasn't coming down right it was a tough job and as a, a person who would often be the one tossing those bricks up you had to trust the one who was catching the brick uh, because well uh, otherwise the uh, pain would certainly soon ensue right And as he thought about that job growing up and reflected on this text, he was reminded that like uh, that middleman, God is a, a faithful, faithful to catch what we throw at him. You don't have to wonder like maybe sometimes he did if the fight you had the day before was going to uh, turn out bad for you when you tossed a brick the next morning, right? No, God is always faithful. His grace, his true grace is there and he can catch what we throw at him. And as we'll soon discover as we dig into this text today we can trust that, we can know that because the cross gives us that guarantee. I'll say more about that in a moment. The cross gives us that guarantee. Let's begin at the ending however as uh, one author did in talking about this text. Let's talk about that very last phrase that we hear in today's reading that God himself will restore will confirm will strengthen and will establish us this is the God who promises to catch what we throw at him For God does, as one author put it, does all the things. It's the verbs here that are being done by God that we need to pay attention to. He is completing this work. The question becomes, will we come to him humbly? Will we, as we've heard throughout this letter, who This God who calls us, calls us by name, gives us a new identity, and now leads us into so many different areas of life with our family, uh, with governing authorities, with uh, uh, our bosses. In so many different ways, God calls us to be his witness in this world. will be now answer this calling as God. Cowards and shy away, or will we remember that the one who calls us can catch what we throw at him, and that he cares? Sometimes we respond to that calling uh, like we do uh, with a challenge before us, and we see, oh, "I'm not doing that, right? Uh, that that's not me." Sometimes we question. Let's be honest about whether or not God really is catching those bricks that we're throwing at him. Some of us might say, well, I I prayed and I prayed and my loved one still died. Or I tried to do that, but I just kept failing. Like I'm just not good enough. These feelings and observations are are real but how do we understand them in light of the world that we face in light of a god who says he cares for us he'll catch what we throw at him remember the cross i'll say more about that in a moment i'll keep following is another response someone who might have the same experience as that uh, beloved friend that uh, we may have who might say, I'm not doing that. For example, uh, a person might pray and pray and their loved one may still die and yet still say, ah, it is well with my soul, as Horatio Spafford did. I've often told the story uh, preceding him writing that hymn about his family but I recently learned that his wife and children on the shipwreck that would kill his four children prior to their death would pray together asking God to save them. And so when his wife was found unconscious and saved out of the water and then telegrammed her husband to say, saved alone it was even more poignant for me, saved alone. They had prayed, and yet Spafford would still write, it is well with my soul. Because he knew about the cross of Christ, he knew that that prayer would be answered, was answered, is answered for his beloved children, not in the space and time that he had hoped But in God's hand and timing, because the cross lets us know that God does care. He does answer our prayers. The cross says, because Jesus went to the cross and suffered for us, he does love us and he does guarantee that he will save us. So when we say, I tried and I failed miserably, we encounter, because of the cross, like Peter did after failing miserably, his true grace. And so the the cross guarantees for us and is a moment in history, a historic moment, not just, as I've said regularly lately, just an idea, but a moment in time where God came and went And suffered for us and said, I love you. And so we can cast our anxieties, our heartache on to Jesus because he cares for you. And he promises as we hear this word uh, restore, confirm, strengthen and establish that one day all that heartache that we face now or as he says here for a little while. And it often doesn't feel very little. He says, will be undone. I confess to you that uh, I, like many of us, forget this. I I struggle with uh, anxiety uh, like many do. We wrestle with this, we wonder uh, is God hearing our prayer? And we have to come back again, again, and again to the cross. Today, as we uh, come into this text, I want you to remember that this radical Christian life that Peter is describing for us in all of these places in the world, he says we can do this. We can do this by faith and belief in Jesus because He cares for us. We don't have to cower. We can be bold because he is with us. And we remember from the very first chapter of 1 Peter and he ties it together now. You see this letter begins with God's promise and ends with God's promise and wraps us in that promise every step of the way. This promise which is imperishable undefiable and unfading. And we learn that what gets in the way of that promise for us often is anxiety and together with pride. It's interesting that pride and anxiety are surprisingly linked together here. Pride is the opposition of God's grace Pride is the opposition of God's grace. And it really shows up with a couple of different denials in this text and different ways we can do that. Uh, We can uh, look at a a problem like sin and think, as uh, one pastor put it, as some have said to him, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't think God isn't that mad, and I'm not that bad, right? And we try to puff ourselves up as uh, not needing that kind of salvation. And when we do, that kind of pride is why Satan is lurking like a lion, roaring. And he takes that pride, he takes that sin and uses it against us. Notice uh, from the very beginning of time, Satan would accuse us with an idea—idea idea that ultimately would lead us away from needing God. And we have to be careful not to I- ignore the reality of this spiritual battle in pride. C.S. Lewis in his uh, book. Uh, about this very issue said that sometimes when we come uh, talking about Satan or the devil as a roaring lion, we have to be careful of falling into two traps. One is superstition, that is that we see uh, the devil in every corner and that we uh, need to be exercised every day. Or superstition, that we uh, under believe And underestimate that this spiritual being that uh, each of the epistles, many of the epistles talk about, but you know who talks about it most is Jesus, uh, is a, a real force to be dealt with. What we discover in this text is that God's word does deal with him when we come to him humbly and listen to his word instead of the accuser the next type of pride that can be used against us is that uh, I'm so bad if I came into that church, the walls would fall down. You know, you ever heard that? Uh, God couldn't use me. I'm not good enough. You ever think that or say that? Or he could never forgive me. And this leads us right into the sin of anxiety. Now, when I talk about anxiety, it's a good, it's a good moment for me to point out I'm not talking about the medical condition of depression and anxiety here, right? I'm talking about the spiritual and uh, condition of thinking that we're in control. You see, anxiety is similar to, to pride. And it, uh, it literally means, as Kaufman will write about, uh, that the English word from an Anglo-Saxon word means to tear us apart. And it's usually because there's something that's uh, out of our control that we wish we were in control of. Or something that's out of our control, but we think it, well, we're, we're so prideful that we think it must be us. You'll hear phrases like, uh, as one person pointed out, God forgives me, but I I can't forgive myself. What that really means is, is that I'm listening more to my verdict about me instead of God's verdict about me. For all those who believe in Christ, his verdict is true grace and forgiveness. Will we believe the verdict of God more than ourselves? Whose verdict are you living by? Maybe you're living by uh, the verdict of how well you do at work or with family or with your reputation with people or how successful you evaluate yourself is. Or is your verdict instead that calling to be God's people based on God's true grace. So the scripture says today, so clothe yourselves instead of, instead of uh, pride and anxiety, clothe yourselves with humility. And this casting is a, a once and for all kind of word in the aorist tense of the Greek. Not that we won't, on this side of heaven, do a lot of casting many times over, right? But casting our cares, as one translation puts it, casting our anxiety to Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. And how do I know this? Even when some of my prayers weren't answered the way I thought they were, the cross tells you why. How do I know this when suffering comes, when difficulty comes? the cross of Christ. Think of what Christ has done. It lets us know it's our guarantee that he cares. And remember, God does all the things. God does the verbs. He does the restoration. uh, As a commentator put it, makes us back in order. And the image he used was like a doctor, a surgeon, placing a broken bone back back into place. He puts us in order. He confirms us. Our calling comes from Jesus, our new identity that we've heard in First Peter. He strengthens us. And here's the interesting tie-in here. He uses this word strengthen, and it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, this word for strengthen. And it's reflected in a word in the Old Testament used in Isaiah to talk about Having the strength of a lion. You see, he establishes us in a fixed position, a position in his hands. For by his word, when we face the roaring lion, we realize because of his true grace, it's a tethered lion. It's a tethered lion. He cannot overcome the word of God. And so Luther reminds us, therefore, to forget about all our anxiety and let him manage it by clinging to the word. Jesus, it turns out, as we see in the scriptures, can handle what we throw at him. He does the verbs. He does the actions. Like how one author put it, you are in a fight, but the victory is guaranteed because it's the hands of the risen chief shepherd. And we don't do it alone. We do it with the consolation of the saints, as Luther will put it, together as the body of Christ. And he even gives us pastors designed not for their good, but the ours to guide us. And so, this is the calling that God has given us to be his witness in the world. Graham Sellers, who spoke at the uh, LCMC gathering earlier this week, uh, writes in his book The deeper difference between the Jesus ethic and the Pharisees was this the Pharisee, Pharisees had an ethic of avoidance, and Jesus had an ethic of involvement. And so First Peter tells us even though there will be challenges, even though there will be sufferings, he reminds us that Jesus' ethic of involvement promises to be with us even when it's hard as a witness in the world. For this gift that he gives us is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he will, by his word, restore us, confirm us, strengthen us, and establish us. And there's nothing that can stop his word from doing what he has promised. He can handle what we throw at him. And so... That's how we're called to live. Amen.